We're in the midst of a series on the Psalms, different kinds of Psalms, and we come today to one of the penitential Psalms. There are seven of them, uh, as it's usually identified in Scripture. Uh, some of them less famous, some of them very famous. Uh, this is one of the more famous ones. Martin Luther was once asked what his favorite psalm was, or favorite psalms, and he replied, the Pauline ones. That's how he described these penitential psalms, because they're all about sin, our own sense of guilt and sin, but God's incredible grace. One of the great things Luther proclaimed is, we have a gracious God, and that's nowhere more beautifully stated than in this psalm, uh, which Gabby's going to read for us now. A reading from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is a steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gabby. So this psalm uh, divides quite easily and readily into four stanzas, two verses to each, and it represents a progression out of the depths. That's where the psalmist begins. That's uh, the position from which he cries out to God. Uh, but by the end of the psalm, he's standing firm on the mount of God's grace and proclaiming to all the people of God the hope that we have for the future. So let's uh, kind of follow this journey, looking at each of those four stanzas in turn. First, the cry from the depths. The first two verses, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And it's an obvious and understandable metaphor for any kind of distress or trouble that we find ourselves in as human beings. There's a lot of different pits that we may end up in. I think of Joseph in the pit uh, when his brothers grabbed him, you know, and then sold him into slavery. Or Jeremiah in the dry cistern in Jerusalem. Maybe one of the best examples biblically is Jonah. After, if you know the story of Jonah, uh, he was trying to run away from God and the, the storm arose and the sailors threw him into the ocean at his suggestion because he was the, the, the problem. And chapter two of Jonah has this wonderful poem where he, he talks about how he's sinking down. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up out of the pit. So we get that. We've all been there, right? We've all been in the pit at, at, at some point. Maybe you are right now. But in the psalmist's case, 
the specific trouble that he is experiencing that has cast him down is his own sense of guilt, of, of moral failure, of sin. What do you do about guilt? Because we're all guilty and we feel it. And so he cries out, Lord, have mercy. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. It makes me think of the tax collector in the story Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the man in the temple who wouldn't even lift up his face in prayer. He just bowed his head and beat his breast and pleaded for God to have mercy. And he got it. <laughs> Jesus said, you know, there's a, a proud Pharisee standing nearby who was all full of himself. And Jesus said, Pharisees, they come to the temple and they just go home the same as they were. But, but, but sinners who, who cry for mercy, they go home justified. That's what Jesus said. So we come uh, next to, to this psalm to an incredible statement of the gospel. Verses... Um, Three and four now. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I want you to imagine <laughs> that every thing you'd ever said or did or even thought was suddenly broadcast to the world, there for all to see. Somehow it, it appeared on your front. Every stupid remark, every downright wicked or shameful deed you did in secret, even the thoughts that you had, imagine if God were some kind of cosmic scorekeeper who kept a record and wrote all that down and, and made videos in living color and then broadcast it. There wouldn't be an intact marriage or friendship left in the world. <laughs> I'm serious. I know <laughs> a little of what I'm, I don't even know the full of it. If God would do that, who could stand? I would not be standing here this morning. I'd be hiding in some hole, filled with shame, wishing it would swallow me, cover me up. But God isn't like that. Listen to this good news. But with you there is forgiveness. Friends, that's the gospel. And it's amazing don't take it for granted. That's the one thing we would never guess about God if we didn't know him as he reveals himself in Scripture. We'd, we'd pretty well guess his power and his magnificence and his, maybe his great wisdom. He figured everything. We would never guess that he's a gracious God. With you there, that's not true of everybody, you know. There's no forgiveness on Twitter. There's no forgiveness on Facebook. You do it, it's done, you're finished. 
but with you there is forgiveness. More than forgiveness. Listen to this incredible statement from the end of Micah. These are the verses that close the little book of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. They're, they're in the Marianas Trench somewhere. That's what happens to forgiven sin. I ran across a, a lovely little story. I'm sure it's just a story, probably not true, but it makes a great point. Just, just recently, a priest was dealing with a, a parishioner who claimed that um, she heard from God direct messages, verbatim. God dictated to her. Uh, these messages. So the priest said, okay, fine, prove it. Next time God uh, engages in a conversation with you, I want you to ask him to tell you the sins that I confessed at my last confession. And she said, okay. So they, they got back together and he said, well, did you ask, this, ask God about this? And she said, yep. Did he give you an answer? He sure did. He dictated his reply to me. Well, what did he say? Tell me exactly what he said. And the woman replied, he said, I can't remember them. Can't remember what he said. <laughs> we have a gracious God. He casts them into the depths of the sea. They're gone. So, as a result, here's a testimony that the psalmist offers us. Verses five and six, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Uh, if I ever play a party game with you and, and it's one of those, tell us something nobody knows about you. One of the things I might say is that I once worked as a, as a night watchman, part-time, during seminary. And oh, the nights are long. You're alone in a building. All the doors are locked. You have to make the rounds every hour or two and punch this clock to prove that you look down every hallway. And, and you begin about 3.30, 4 in the morning, you start to look out the east side windows of the building, longing to see that first faint streak of gray on the horizon, more than watchman for the morning. I wait and I hope, says the psalmist. I wait for the Lord. I hope in his word, his promises. Waiting and hoping are not two different things because you only wait while you have hope. And if hope ever dies, you stop waiting. No sense waiting anymore. They're not coming. <laughs> but the psalmist waits and hopes. And what we wait and hope for is God's full, ultimate redemption, which the apostle describes this way in Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, and not only the creation, but we ourselves 
who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So yes, friends, we're waiting. And the psalmist closes with an exhortation to us. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope in the Lord. People of God, hope in the Lord. The prophecy, the little book of Joel, one of the smallest of the, what we call the minor prophets. Uh, Joel was written uh, during a time of devastation. It was a time of judgment on Israel. The judgment came in the form of 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 a plague of locusts who stripped the crops and left the people with nothing. And and Joel then uses that metaphorically to describe an invading army who also does an even more thorough job of stripping the population and the land from everything. And in the midst of this dark and at times gruesome book filled with frightful images, The Lord says this through the prophet, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I take that as a promise. If you're in the depths right now of some kind of suffering, mental or spiritual or maybe physical, God's promise is not just that he's going to somehow get you out of it or bring you through or help you to limp to the finish line. God's promise is that someday he's going to outgive all that has been taken from you. Whatever loss you have experienced, he's going to make it up and then some. He's going to repay us. He's going to make us glad for as many years as we've seen trouble. And our joy will be abundant and unceasing. So Israel, what are you going to do? Hope in the Lord, for in the Lord there is plentiful redemption, more and to spare. And he's proved it in the most dramatic way possible by giving us his son, And these reminders of his love for us will receive Christ through the power of the Spirit and experience again the goodness of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.